So uh, we are doing a series um, about what must I do, responding to that verse that was in Acts and the passage that we read, what must I do to be saved? Um, so for those of you who are visiting us this week, we have already repented <laughs> and we have believed and we have received forgiveness. And so this morning we're talking about baptism and then next week we're talking about belonging and then we're talking about receiving the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, which you could almost say was planning. So <laughs> as an exception to every rule, Phil, isn't there? So um, let me give you a brief history of Israel. It is brief. God blesses the people. He creates them to be in relationship with himself. And they enjoy that. They enjoy all the blessing and the goodness of God. And then they get used to it. And they become complacent, and they start to take God for granted, and they turn away from him. So then God needs to get their attention in some way or another. And he gains their attention, and then they go, oh, it's not good like this. We should repent. We should come back to God. The relationship should be restored, and all will be well, and all is well. And they feel blessed by God. And after a while, they get used to it, and they become complacent, and so on and so forth. And John the Baptist arrives during the down bit of that cycle. To be fair, the down bit of that particular cycle has lasted for several hundred years. It's quite an extensive down bit. But he comes along at that point where Israel is starting to feel uncomfortable where they are beginning to think that it isn't all as it was meant to be, where it's actually occurring to them that maybe now they should turn back to God and they should look for the Messiah, the Deliverer, one who's going to save them from the power of the Romans, from their invasion and occupation of the land of Israel. And it's at that point that John the Baptist comes along fulfilling the prophecy from Isaiah chapter 40, prepare the way of the Lord. He is the one who comes before Jesus to make the announcement that Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, is going to come. During the whole of uh, Jewish history, being washed in water was a key thing about purification. It is In most world religions, that is true, that the symbol of purification is the washing of water. So actually, people have been baptized in various shapes and forms throughout history. But at the points where Judaism was particularly popular, some of the Gentiles used to think to themselves, well, actually, it looks pretty good to be a Jew, Maybe I could be one of those too. And they were called proselytes. I always want to put in an extra symbol in, uh, syllable in there somewhere, but anyway, there isn't one. Proselytes, those who were Gentiles who chose to become Jews. However, this wasn't an easy process. It was, in fact, a three-step process, and that was once you decided. First of all, you had to make a sacrifice uh, a burned offering, a pigeon or a sheep or something, because blood needed to be spilt, because blood is a sign of the covenant. 
And so in order to become a Jew, you needed to make a sacrifice to enter into the covenant. So that bit wasn't too difficult, and anyway, someone else could do that for you. The second step in the process was a little more painful, especially for the men. <laughs> Circumcision. I am not going to talk a lot about this, save to say, ouch. <laughs> the identifying mark of being part of the Jewish people, of being in the covenant. And that's what happened to you if you were a man and you wanted to become a Jew. Are we thinking a little bit harder about it now? <laughs> And then after that, and only after that, were you baptized. Now, you had to be naked. This is not a custom that we continue with, just in case you're worrying about that. <laughs> men were baptized amongst men and women amongst women, so that was slightly improved. We don't do that anymore. Just in case you're switching it off at this point in the message, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> In fact, actually, really the opposite. <laughs> so this was part of what happened if you decided to join a different identity. This was not some kind of quick add-on. It wasn't like one of those situations that you find yourself in where you're queuing at the supermarket checkout and something grabs your attention and you think, I shall just make a spontaneous purchase. It wasn't one of those kind of things. It wasn't a how to do your extreme Jewish makeover. It was a really serious decision that people needed to make. The elements of the process, I'm sure, left a few of the people who thought that they might want to go through with it going, maybe I'll think about it a little bit more. Maybe I'll reconsider. Maybe there's another religion that I could join that was less demanding. There was a cost. There was pain. There was humility required. This was a thoughtful consideration. This was a full-on decision and commitment from which you didn't go back. This person had now renounced their previous life, their previous nationality, their previous allegiances. They hadn't just added on the Jewish God on top of all their other gods. They, he or she, was fully Jewish physically and spiritually, their identity had completely changed. Their old self had died, and their new identity had been born. And I find that really interesting and helpful in understanding baptism a little bit deeper. What we're really talking about when we talk about dunking people in the water that's under the boards at the front of the church here, in case you haven't seen it. Currently, there's no water in there, but there will be. So what do we think about baptism? In Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, it says this, which you may be familiar with. Therefore, this is Jesus speaking, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The danger with baptism, and in case you don't know which church you walked into, it's a Baptist church, is that 
there are two extremes. We can either make it too important or too unimportant. We can either run the risk of deifying it or trivializing it. We can either say it's the essence of the gospel or it's irrelevant to the gospel. So far as we know, every single convert in the New Testament was baptized. In Acts chapter 2, 3,000 of them were baptized. Now there's a long service. And we might need to go to the gym before we did that one. <laughs> in Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian eunuch responded to the gospel and was immediately baptized. In Acts 16, the jailer and all his household were baptized. In Acts 22, Saul, who responded to his vision of Jesus and was then known as Paul, was baptized. Everyone in the New Testament who became a convert, who responded to Jesus, was baptized. Except one. The thief on the cross. What about the thief on the cross? Was he really saved? Well, Jesus said he was. Jesus said, today you will be with me in my kingdom. So he wasn't baptized, was he? I know there were some mitigating circumstances. <laughs> because baptism is a response to grace. An obedience born out of grace. If you like, baptism is the bit that's kind of obvious. That shows on the outside what's happened on the inside. It's a bit the equivalent of trying to get married and keep it secret. It would seem a bit strange. It's like the obvious thing to do is to say, I'm going to express this now because I've responded to God. Baptism is understood as a sacrament. Now, in a Baptist church, we don't talk a whole heap about sacraments, not, not kind of top of our pile of things to talk about. The 9.15 this morning, we had communion. That's also one of those sacraments. So on our communion table, we have bread, with or without gluten, bought from a shop near you. It is regular bread. You could have it with ham and for your lunch today. It's that kind of bread. We have this stuff that technically is wine, but actually it's not. It's this kind of yucky stuff. Um, it could be blackcurrant juice. It could be wine. You could drink it with your lunch. You could have it later on tonight. It's that sort of a thing. There is nothing magic about the component parts. There is nothing magic there really isn't anything magic about the water that we have in this grubby pit. But there is something about what both communion is and baptism is that is more than the component parts. It's something about the interaction of grace and obedience and response and the Spirit of God that means that when we take bread and wine, we have a sense of the encounter of the presence of God. And we know through much experience over the years that when people are baptized, something significant occurs. Now, if that was a rubbish explanation, that's because it's a mystery. It's because I don't really understand it. It's because it's not so high we can't reach it and not so low that we trivialize it. it. It's something of what happens where we respond with faith to the grace of God, whether it's through communion or baptism. Does that make sense? At least a little bit? 
There is something important about baptism. So what does it mean? Well, this is the obvious thing. It's kind of symbolic. First of all, it's symbolic of being bathed, bathed. The word baptizo means overwhelmed, drenched, immersed. So Greek Orthodox priests baptize babies properly, like they actually dunk them. All the videos I've watched, the children are not that pleased. <laughs> but they definitely do it properly, because they understand that the Greek word baptizo means that you dunk them under the water. And that's what we're talking about here. That's why we fully immerse people. In fact, was it Heather? It was Heather. <laughs> Bless her. When Heather was baptized, Phil and I didn't do a very good job. So we realized that part of Heather's face had not actually gone under the water. <laughs> so we instinctively pushed her back <laughs> under the water again. <laughs> anyway, she's here to tell the tale. <laughs> We don't normally do that. In Acts 22, it talks about Paul being baptized, immersed. And in 1 Peter 3, it mentions really that connection between grace and baptism. He's talking, it's a bit of a strange passage really, but he's talking about the story of Noah. And then he uses it as a symbol. This water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also not the removal of, removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he there, he kind of flits between baptism saves you, but no, it's not actually the baptism that saves you, it's the death and resurrection of Jesus that saves you. You're made clean through that. A bath is an obvious symbol, isn't it, for cleansing and for forgiveness for what God has done for us through Jesus' death on the cross. He has taken our sins. We are forgiven and cleansed. And so we uh, symbolically go in dirty and come out clean. Might actually come out more dirty than you went in, but anyway, don't think about that. So the second symbol is burial. Is burial. So far, we have a record of one in, one out. So we're working on keeping that as a record, aren't we? Romans chapter 6. I'm going to read you all of this because it's really important what he says, Paul, about dying to the past and living a new life. Verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. 
In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. So this sense of burial, of dying with Christ. So he is identified with us in becoming a human being. He takes on himself our sin. He dies in our place. We identify with him in his death so that our sin is gone and we have life through Christ, and we are raised with him, we identify with him in his resurrection. So in baptism, you go in, down, under the water, all the way, <laughs> and then up again. And that's that symbol of being identified with Christ in his death and raised to new life in his resurrection. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12, says, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. And in 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. There is this sense of the truth of what has been done for us by Christ on the cross. And I remember when I was baptized, which was a long time ago now, <laughs> The first time I sinned after I was baptized, I felt devastated because I really, really believed this thing about leaving the past and walking into a new future. And that is the truth. Something dynamically different has occurred. You were this person. You are now this other person because of what Christ has done for you. But the third bit of this equation is something akin to a makeover. In Romans chapter 13, you might want to read that with me. In verse 12, it says this, The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. The truth is that we have been saved through what Jesus has done for us and that we are being saved. So that the reality is that when you step out of the baptistry, you are not immediately perfect, sadly. And you need to clothe yourself with the things, the grace of Christ. It's a bit like putting on new clothes, taking off the old ones, symbolized by the things that Paul mentions in Romans, all the negative things, and putting on the new clothes of love and kindness and compassion and mercy and joy and peace, all those things, intentionally putting them on, living out the reality of what has happened to you, and that we will be saved. So that resurrection with Christ is something that we will know for all eternity when we meet Jesus face to face. Here's some questions that people ask, and here's some answers that I have thought of. Here we go. Does it matter? Does baptism matter? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was the easy question. I mean, yes, it does. I think it does. 
It's not an optional extra. Every time it mentions people coming to Christ and believing in him, they are baptized. When Jesus said, gave his commands to the disciples as he was leaving earth, go and make disciples, baptizing them. Jesus said that. It was one of the last things that he said. It does matter. It's not just something that we can go, oh, well, you know, it's not really that important. No, I don't I don't really want to do that. I think it does matter. It's part of this thing that we call the normal Christian birth, the whole package of what it means to give our lives fully to Christ. I was baptized as a baby. Excellent. Good. You know, some people find that a real stumbling block, partly because at times they're saying, I feel very disrespectful of my parents, of what they brought me to. How about another way of looking at it is to say, um, your parents gave to you something that was precious to them if they genuinely were part of the church and wanted you to be christened as a baby. And that what you're saying now is, look, I really know Jesus now. Because, of, because you offered me this start, now I really know him. And I want to express that in being baptized, believing what I do. And actually, it's not disrespectful. It's not a negation of what might have been something you had no control over, but actually a fulfillment of God's hand on your life. And maybe now is the time to say, actually, I need to be baptized as a believer, knowing Jesus. How much do I need to know before I'm baptized? How much did the thief on the cross know? How much did the jailer know? How much did the Ethiopian eunuch know? Well, not a lot, really, did they? Not a lot. They knew that Jesus was who he said he was. They knew that it was worth committing their lives, which was a risky strategy to him. They knew that they were going to leave the past and go forward with the one who'd taken their sins and offered them salvation. They knew enough to make a huge decision which probably risked their lives, actually. And so, yeah, we sometimes encourage people to wait a little bit and to understand things a bit more so that when you make that decision and you feel committed to what you're doing, that you understand it, you feel confident in what you're doing as a commitment because they, those first believers, risked death. So they didn't do it casually, even though they might have done it quickly. And we need to have that same attitude. Does it matter where? No, not really. We have baptized people in the river. It's cold. It's much warmer in there. <laughs> but it really doesn't matter. Does baptism save people? No, it doesn't. It doesn't save people. And it's a part of our expression of knowing Jesus and his grace in our lives. But if someone knows Jesus and they're not baptized, they're not unsaved. Following on from that, what happens if a person isn't baptized? Well, I guess my question there is, why not? Why not? So if your reason is a medical reason, maybe that's something that we might be able to talk about. If you just haven't got around to it or you haven't been in a church where baptism has been normal, well, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? We all get that. 
If you're still on a journey thinking about it because your experience of church has not been a Baptist setting and you're still kind of working that through and coming to a place of integrity with that within yourself, that's okay. That's your journey with God, isn't it? But if you're saying, well, it's embarrassing, I don't want to do it, or I don't really need to, and you're just being stubborn, or you think that you're kind of, I don't know, people will laugh at you or something, your family might not understand, then maybe that's a conversation that needs to happen a bit more thoroughly. Why have you not been baptized? Because baptism is all about obedience. My uh, youth minister, a long while back, <laughs> um, I remember him telling this story. Uh, I was in a Baptist church, by the way. Uh, he, he said that, that God had been speaking to him about baptism. He just didn't want to be baptized. He was quite stubborn at times. She said, I don't want to be baptized. So he kept asking God, can you talk to me about something else, please? Silence. Absolutely silence. And after quite a good long time, he was like, oh, for goodness sake. Right, yes, okay, okay, I'll listen, I'll do it. So he got baptized, and then God called him to ministry, and God called him to all sorts of other things, because it's about obedience, and if God is speaking to you about this, then you need to do this. If he's speaking to you about something else, do that first. It's about humility and obedience. And somewhere in there is it's about discipleship. It's about following Jesus. So who didn't need to be baptized? Jesus. I mean, John was like, really? Shouldn't you be baptizing me? Why? Why are you coming to be baptized? This is all wrong. It's all around the wrong way. Jesus had a little word with him. It's like, hmm, I'd really like you to do this, please. And John's like, okay. And we are called to follow Jesus. And if Jesus was baptized... If Jesus was prepared to go into that water and to be identified with sinners who were the ones who were being baptized, then can't we do that? If Jesus was willing to commit himself to that as the beginning of his ministry, his public ministry, if Jesus was prepared to identify with us as a baby, to live a normal life and then to go through baptism. Shouldn't we? Following him. And in that moment, very significant moment, as he came out of the waters, they heard God speaking, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And they saw the affirmation of the Spirit of God upon him. Because something significant occurs when we obey God in baptism. I just want to finish this morning by talking about a few practicalities. And the irony of this is the best picture I could find was the Bishop, Archbishop of York baptizing people. <laughs> what do we ask you to do? Well, we ask you to tell something of your story of meeting Jesus. It doesn't have to be long. You do not have to learn it off by heart. It does not have to have long words in it. It is just your story 
because it's super encouraging for you and for us. And because this is a response to an encounter, a transforming encounter with Jesus. So we say, can you tell us something about your story? And if you want to write it down and read it like this, you are allowed. And if you want us to ask you questions, that's fine too, if you find that easier. And if it lasts for about one and a half minutes, that's fine. We'd just like you to say something about your story. And God really honors and blesses that. And most people will say, I'm going to speak for 10 seconds, speak for 15 minutes, 30 minutes. Because actually, once you get started, you want to tell your story. We get you to answer some questions. Now, we tell you in advance so that you can research and revise, <laughs> make sure that you properly know the answers and, you know, committed to that. The questions are always the same, and the answers are always the same. The answer's yes, not, doesn't take a lot of learning. It says, we ask you, do you repent of your sins? Remember what Phil's talking about the other, other week, about turning from your sin, turning to God. We ask you, have you done that? Are you doing it? Both of those things. We ask you whether you renounce all evil, because actually, this is about leaving the past and all your allegiances and having your allegiance only to Jesus. And actually, there's something really important in the New Testament about renouncing evil, making a choice to stand against evil. Not just to kind of say, oh, well, I'm not that bothered about that anymore. To make that clear choice to renounce that in order to embrace this, which is Jesus and his way for you. So we ask you that. Do you renounce all evil? Yes is a good answer to that as well. We ask you, do you believe that Jesus is your Savior and your Lord? Not just Savior, but also Lord. Saviour is about what he's done for you, but Lord is about giving your whole self to him. He is the centre and no longer you. Do you believe that Jesus is your saviour and your Lord? And then you stroke we make a declaration. I gladly confess that Jesus Christ is my saviour and my Lord. At least that's the words I said. I can never remember what we say here. But it's something like that. Because it's important to say that out loud, to confess it, to own it, the declaration of our faith. And then we baptize you. There's normally two of us. We, we normally stand one either side. We normally put our arm around you. We normally ask you to cross your arm so we can get a good grip of you. Because we don't want to drop you. Normally, we baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit. We normally do that backwards. You can hold your nose. It's okay. It's not less spiritual. If that's an issue to you, we can dunk you down that way. We can dunk you forwards if you like. We can work it out. <laughs> the main thing is you get wet. <laughs> then 99% of the time, we bring you up again. There's lots of cheering. Sometimes we sing a song and we pray for you. We pray that the Holy Spirit of God would come on you in a new, fresh way. We pray that you'd be baptized, immersed, overwhelmed by the Spirit of God. 
We pray that God would reveal his plans and purposes for you. Sometimes we might share a scripture with you. Somebody else might do that. And then there's just like a lot of celebration and some really important person holds your towel. And if you're really lucky, they put the towel around you, which is really nice. And we celebrate. And then other people get baptized because, well, that's just how it works. And people come to Jesus because that's just how it works. And it's really exciting. And I don't have anything else to say. So what's the end? <laughs> Except if you want to be baptized and you haven't already told us, please come and tell us. We have, uh, we think, about three people being baptized on Pentecost Sunday. We're not looking particularly for more for that Sunday, but ongoing.